drinking. I think of alcohol like a magnet. When you're really close to it, when you're on day two or day four or day seven, the pull is so strong to drink. And as you get to day eight and 10 and 16 and 30, it becomes so much less. And so you really need to just start building up those consistent days away from alcohol and not have your screw it moment where you're just like, oh God, this is too hard. I'm just going to drink. Because like you said, Janet, you're just doing the hardest part all over again. And you're basically going back to have that magnet pull be so strong and struggling to get away from it again. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then go on to actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last five years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created our tribe because we believe it is so difficult to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. And each week, we feature a community voice just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. Here's a lady from one of our Slack groups. I realized that I had a problem with alcohol as I was drinking every day, and four to five days could be considered very heavy drinking. I've been drinking for decades. I managed life, but the older I got, the more tired and anxious I felt the next day. Something had to change. Addiction is the opposite of connection. Tribe Sober's connection to others with the same issue. Podcasts, email, psychoeducation, and shared wins. I'm on day 10 of first in years. I'm in it for me so that I can experience the joy of sobriety that I'm beginning to realize. Yay! The joy of Tribe Sober is that we all understand each other. We've been through the same struggles, and whether we've come out the other side or we're still doing the work, we always support and encourage each other. Just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe to join a safe and supportive space where you'll be able to change your thinking about drinking. My guest this week is Casey McGuire-Davidson, who's from Seattle in the U.S., Like me, Casey was caught in the corporate work-hard-play-hard culture, as well as the mommy juice trend, using alcohol to cope with stress and anxiety and becoming more and more dependent over the years. But somehow, we both found our way out of that trap, and we're now both finding joy in helping other people to do the same. I began by asking Casey to introduce herself. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. 
Um, yeah, I live in Seattle, Washington, so in the Pacific Northwest. I am 46. I've been married. We just hit 19 years, which is a little bit crazy. And I have two kids. I've got a 13-year-old son, Hank, and a 7-year-old daughter, Lila. And I, um, you know, worked in corporate digital marketing for about 20 years. I was your typical sort of working mom climbing the corporate ladder while drinking a bottle or more of wine a night. I did that for a really long time. I quit drinking about five and a half years ago and was continuing to work in marketing for big corporations for another three years until I decided it really just wasn't serving me anymore. It wasn't making me happy and it wasn't what I wanted to do with my time. And I think a lot of women realize that after they stop drinking. And so I decided to become a professional life coach, went back to school, and now I'm a life and sobriety coach for busy women. Brilliance. Okay, yeah, we we have quite similar stories actually. I mean, I'm so I'm just just about six years sober, so yeah, very oh, nice. similar. And and I was definitely on a bottle of wine a night as well. It's it's a very <laughs> typical story, isn't it, Stacey? You know, the the corporate um, stress. It just we get into that habit. But let me ask you. Uh, let's go back on the the drinking years a little bit. How how old were you when you started drinking? Yeah, I, you know, drank a little bit in high school, but not a lot. I actually went to boarding school. I know you're in South Africa. My parents are foreign service officers. So with the American embassies overseas, and they lived all over Africa and South America and Australia. So I went to boarding school at the age of 14. And it was fairly strict in that if you drank you would be suspended from school. So that actually kept me in line quite a bit because I kind of had nowhere to go if I got kicked out of school. My parents were in Brazil and then Africa when I was in high school. So did not drink a ton in high school, went to college and just found keg parties and drinking and absolutely loved it. So I went to college in Maine. It's in the northeast corner of the United States. Um, I got there. I'd always played sports in high school, and I decided to play women's rugby in college. Um, it It's a big, big drinking sport. It is a, you know, you play the game. <clears throat> I apologize, my voice. It's eight in the morning here, so I'm just waking up. <laughs> um, you play the game and then you drink out of a keg and party with the other team. And for me, it was just amazing because I had always been sort of a little bit of an overthinker or worried about what people thought of me, um, kind of a straight A student, but also really sort of scanning the room and trying to read people all the time. And so drinking made me feel relaxed and also able to get out of my head. And I kind of thought it made me let loose, like anything could happen. I would be more adventurous. And and I was, right? So um, spent four years, you know, going through school, doing really well at school, but at the same time, binge drinking often. And, you know, drinking to the point of like 
throwing up, that was kind of a goal. It was called boot and rally on the rugby team, um, doing keg stands, trying, you know, blacking out on the regular. And for me, I just thought that was a normal part of college. And then I got out of college and got my first job and um, was really nervous about doing a really good job in it. And so I thought what adults did was they drank wine at night with dinner. I thought it was really sophisticated. So I started, you know, buying a bottle of wine and bringing it to my to my little basement apartment and drinking that in the evenings. Um, kind of by myself, I, I was not a great cook. So I'd like make mac and cheese and drink red wine. It was very, very sophisticated. Sometimes I would eat Lucky Charms for dinner. But it was sort of my my habit. And, you know, as as the world went on, as I kept climbing the corporate ladder, that just evolved. I mean, I was just a girl who drank seven days a week, always. Were, were you kind of worried about it or, or it just felt completely normal at that stage? Presumably you're in your 20s by now. Yeah, I was in my 20s. So yes and no. Um, I thought it was normal. I was oblivious for a really long time that it was a problem. And yet I knew that um, I didn't have an off switch. I mean, that was very clear. So when I was in my 20s, I would drink before I'd have to go on a business trip the next day because I'd be really, really nervous about the business trip or when I went out and I would wake up and throw up for hours. I would just be on the bathroom floor throwing a bile, which I know is disgusting, but it just, and I was like sweating and I was ill and I was worried how I was going to like make it to the airport. And even that, I didn't think, I don't know what I thought. I just was like, yikes, this is not good. And then it would happen again. But it was, you know, in my mind, I was so worried about not, throwing up on my business meeting. I didn't have a chance to be nervous. It was it was really weird. I thought it was working for me. And how, how did that drinking evolve when you got married and you had your kids? Were you on the mommy juice? Oh, yeah. I was definitely on the mommy juice train. And I felt like um, it, drinking was something that kept me young and kept me cool and less um, obsessed with my kids, like showed myself in the world that I was more than just a mother. Um, I, you know, I, I love my kids. I had been with my husband since we were 23. We got married at 27 and we didn't have our first kid till I was 32. So we'd been together a long time and we'd had great trips and adventures and nights out. I mean, you know, so much fun. And once we had kids, it just sort of kept going in terms of like, you know, you work all day, you pick up your kid at daycare, you come in the door, you're getting dinner ready, you open a bottle of wine. And I don't remember when it evolved from like three glasses of wine a night to a bottle or, you know, I think it was much later that I started wanting more than a bottle. But I mean, when my son was born, when I was 32, I was definitely um, aware of it. I think when he was about six months old was the first time I read Drinking a Love Story by Carolyn Knapp. Do you know that one? Yes. Yes. That was strange. That was one of my early reads. Yeah. Yeah. And it just hit home so hard. And I was just reading it while drinking red wine, which is what is on the cover of the book. And just sort of in my mind being like, oh, God, 
<laughs> this is an issue. Okay. So you were about 32 when you re- when you realized there might be a little bit of a problem there. Yeah. 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 And I, yeah. you know, kept going to my doctor saying, I have insomnia. My life's so stressful. I have anxiety and was not at that moment connecting the dots yeah, to yeah. my drinking. Yeah. And your husband, he was happily sharing that red wine every evening, was he? Yeah. I mean, he still drinks. He's, you know, but never drank like I did. So he's the kind of guy who could have one beer while I would have three glasses of wine and keep on going. So, you know, he didn't totally understand why I didn't have an off switch. He thought it was a little ridiculous how much I would drink. I don't think he ever batted an eye that I drank every night because, you know, we'd been together for 20 years and that was just what we did. And I think when you're with drinkers, you hang out with a lot of other drinkers as well. So it was pretty normalized in our lives that, you know, you have an alcoholic drink with dinner, but he definitely, you know, when he couldn't wake me up on the couch um, to go to bed um, because I was passed out and when I didn't remember stuff or, you know, just all the things that happen when you're drinking and hungover, he didn't quite get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My husband didn't quite get it as well. He'd say, he'd say <laughs> things like, but Janet, just have one glass of wine when we go out yeah. this evening. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and however hard I try, that, that never happened. So did did you try to cut down? Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. I I made all the rules about cutting down on drinking and writing myself notes. And, um, you know, I went – I remember even when I read Drinking a Love Story, I, like, wrote myself a letter that – that day or whatever, being like, oh my God, I think I have a real problem. I need to stop drinking. And then like four days later, I came back and like rewrote on that exact same page, like, just kidding. I've thought about it. There is no issue here. You know, I, it was ridiculous. Like this was all to myself, but, um, yeah, I did the, I'm only going to drink when I'm out so that I won't drink at home and drink so much. And then I just found an excuse to go out four days a week, you know, oh, I don't feel like cooking. Let's grab an early dinner, always at a place that served alcohol. Um, Or I'm only going to drink at home so I don't drink and drive, Um, you know. And then I did the, uh, I'm only going to drink two glasses of wine a night. That never worked. You know, I am only going to, I would switch because red wine was my jam. I'd switch to beer. I'd switch to white wine. I mean, it was kind of ridiculous. And I, you know, after my first, first kids, I'm like desperately trying to get away from diet culture, but I was doing Weight Watchers at the time and would log all my food and it would be like egg white omelet and salad for lunch and banana and salmon asparagus. And then I would log six glasses of wine and I'd be within my points, right? That was the ridiculous thing. I'd be like, oh no, I'm good. I'm just saving all my calories for wine. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And that was a good, you know, eight years before I finally stopped drinking. Yeah. When you think back, Casey, it's kind of exhausting, isn't it? We were just going round and round. All that thinking that we did about alcohol when there's so many more interesting things to think about. It's completely exhausting. And that's not even counting the physical effects on your body or the interrupted sleeps or the hangovers. Like, you know, I feel like I was trying to run a marathon with like a ball and chain tied to my ankle. 
You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Yeah, yeah. So what changed? What what made you decide that that was it? You couldn't do this anymore? Did you have a rock bottom or or it just came to you one day that you had to change? Yeah, I didn't have a specific rock bottom. I think it was more like a death of a thousand cuts, you know? <laughs> what was it? I mean, it was uh, my anxiety was off the chart. I was becoming less and less happy in my life. I suspected that alcohol was the issue, but that was the last thing that I wanted it to be, right? I, you know, loved drinking so much. I desperately did not want to stop. Like that was my worst case scenario. So I spent so many years being like, okay, I just need to get a handle on this so that I never need to stop. And, you know, I stopped for a while. I went to see a therapist that specialized in anxiety and addiction and went in and started talking to him about all my anxiety and my boss and my husband and my life and my kid. And, um, and then I was like, yeah, and I'm drinking a bottle of wine at night. And he was like, okay, let's talk about your drinking. And I was like, no, no, no. I want to talk about my boss, you know? And he was like, oh no, let's talk about your drinking. So, um, through working with him and finding some of these online secret private Facebook groups, I stopped for about four months. Um, I felt a lot better, go figure, but I still wanted to drink. I got pregnant with my daughter. And then once she was born, it was very easy for me to rationalize going back to drinking, right? Like, oh, I just want to have a couple of glasses of wine on a date night with my husband. It was situational, you know, that my drinking got out of control. I was just really stressed out. I have a different job now. And so I went back to drinking and very, very quickly, I was back to a bottle of wine a night at home and feeling terrible and waking up you know, with anxiety and worrying all the time if I had enough wine and trying to play off like I wasn't hungover. And that just went on for almost two years. I mean, I I knew enough to know that alcohol was the issue and I was stuck in that, should I, shouldn't I, I need to stop, this is too hard, it's no big deal, why did I do it again? I mean, that sort of purgatory place. Yeah. Interesting, Casey, that you had those four months off. And then did you, you had your pregnancy immediately after that four months? Yeah, it? so I didn't drink for so you, about a year. And presumably you felt good uh, yeah. and then went back to it. Yeah, it's amazing. So so what you did in effect is you went through the hardest bit again, because I always say those first few months are tough. Oh, yeah. You know? So if yeah. we keep falling on and off the wagon, all we're doing is the hardest bit over and over oh, again. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, what it did for me was the second time I was finally able to get a day one that stuck, I knew enough, right? Because throughout my whole life, I was rationalizing, oh, my anxieties from my work, or of course, I feel terrible. My dad passed away, or being a mom is really stressful, or whatever it is. And because I'd had that period of sobriety, because I'd learned so much, I mean, I read all the quit loop books. I was in the groups. The second time I was able to stop, 
I knew the issue was the alcohol. I knew it wasn't, you know, my job, my marriage, my relationships, parenting, everything was better when I wasn't drinking. So the second time I stopped, I really did it because, you know, they say sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. Like I just knew alcohol was the issue. I felt like garbage. I was worried about my mental health. I, you know, felt really doomed and unhappy and I knew it was alcohol. And so I actually hired a sober coach to help me stop drinking. And I emailed her every day and sort of slowly built up four days and seven days and 21 days and 30. And I was going for a hundred days in my first, in the beginning, which seemed impossible to me because I couldn't get four days before that. And that is what helped me stop drinking. So I signed up with her. That was my day one. And five and a half years later, I'm still alcohol free. Wonderful. That's that's a beautiful story. Yes. Just um, checking in every day. Interesting. Yeah. It makes a huge, huge difference. So let's talk about the benefits, uh, Casey. What benefits has alcohol-free life brought to you? Yeah. I mean, so much. I think the biggest immediate benefit is not feeling like garbage. Right. I mean, that is crazy. I did not realize because I was a daily drinker and I really didn't take time off other than when I was pregnant, I did not realize how sick I was just navigating my life day to day. I was either hungover or in withdrawal and irritable, right? Because the most I made it was like four days, maybe seven days without drinking. So, you know, when I was really quote unquote being good, I would stop for four days, buy a bottle of wine, drink it, stop for four more days. And I'd rationalize that like, hey, two bottles of wine a week is way better than seven or nine. But I was still in the constant hangover withdrawal cycle. So, and you know, it impacts every single part of your life. So it was like, maybe when I got like four or five weeks away, I was like, oh my God, the, you know, the sky is blue and the birds are chirping and I feel optimistic and I love my life. And holy crap, I didn't know I could feel this way walking into work at seven in the morning. Um, I think day 12 was the first day I had a really good night's sleep, you know, sober sleep. And I probably hadn't slept through the night in two years, you know, without even realizing it. You know, I would drink a bottle of wine and be terrified of waking up at 3 a.m. So I'd take a Benadryl or for a while I took Ambien. I mean, so dangerous. And you know, to the outside world, I was holding it all together, right? I had tons of friends and I was successful in my job and went into work with a huge smile on my face and might have seemed a little jumpy, but that was just because I had so many plates in the air, you know, all the rationalization. So, But when you think, Casey, we, we manage to do all that stuff, don't we? You know, the kids and the job and keep smiling (laughs) when we're feeling dreadful. So I think it shows that we're we're pretty strong people. So when we get alcohol out of our lives, there, there seems to be no end to what we can achieve then. Oh, yeah. I mean, almost all the women I work with as a coach are high achieving working moms and, you know, sort of the gold star overachieving women who are keeping everything going while drinking 
problematically yeah. drinking way too much. And I think one of the biggest benefits that you feel suddenly is like, once you stop drinking, you can finally exhale and like relax your shoulders mm-hmm. and not be constantly, you know, on or overcompensating or trying to make up for the three hours a night when you were completely out. And, you know, my husband told me, you know, after about 30 days, he was just like, God, our house is so much more peaceful. Because I would just come home and be like riled up about the day or aggravated things were on my last nerve. And I would just come home and he'd be like, how was today? And I'm like, oh, it's fine. (laughs) And he just was like waiting for the rant, right? Like, and your boss, this person, that project. I was like, no, it's okay. Couple meetings, got some stuff done, got a latte. He was like, oh, wow. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's definitely a lot of peace in, in sobriety. I can identify with that. I feel more at peace. And, and there's a relief, isn't there, as well, that we just don't yeah. have to have those, those cycles in our head all the time you know we're, we're just done with that stuff and we're moving on with our lives and then the yeah, key and is physically you know your 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 nerves sort of reset right you recalibrate yeah. where you're not strung so thin anymore you're getting better rest you're less irritable you're less sensitive i mean it takes a couple weeks and maybe even a bit longer but you just you've completely shot your nervous system with alcohol and you don't even realize it yeah, yeah. I think like uh, like many of us, you're a Annie Grace fan. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, her approach to it, which I, I'm totally uh, on board with, is is the mindset thing, isn't it? So, did you when when did you get to the stage where you thought I don't need alcohol? Alcohol adds nothing into my life. When did you start seeing alcohol differently? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's something that really helped me in working with my coach because I set this 100-day goal and I wrote her every day and talked to her. And it was really focused on being aware of what was, you know, what was I encountering in my day? What was changing? It was very focused on like sober treats and rewiring your reward structure and taking really, really good care of yourself. So the mindset shifted from alcohol is my reward to alcohol, you know, basically is a maladaptive coping strategy. It's not a reward. I need to actually truly take care of myself. So if I'm tired, I need to rest. If I'm bored, I can plan an adventure. If I'm lonely, I can call a friend. If I feel anxiety, I can take things off my plate or write them down or, you know, all the things that are true self-care and also just really prioritizing myself, asking for more time from my husband and from the kids to get a massage, get a pedicure, get takeout sushi because it made me happy, plan a walk, start running again. So that was my mindset shift. It was alcohol is dragging me down. It is not self-care. I deserve to take care of myself. Here's the universe of things that I'm going to do instead that are actually going to feed my mind and my body and my soul. Yeah, beautiful. So take us through your first year of sobriety, Casey. Um, How long were you with the sober coach for, for example? Yeah, I actually worked with her for over a year. Yeah. 
And did you go through stages? I mean, my my sobriety uh, was the, the first few months were great. You know, I thought, oh, I've got this. This isn't so difficult. You know, I was in the pink cloud, I think. And then I plummeted and I felt a bit miserable for a couple of months. Did you go through ups and downs like that? Because it, it's never really a linear process, is it? I know I definitely went through it. I mean, I think there is a real cadence to your first year, the ups and downs, and even your first six months. I I mean, the first month was really hard, right? Just building up and getting through your first couple weeks, um, being irritable. I remember on day 16, uh, it was a Friday night. I felt good that morning. I talked to my coach that morning, told her I was great. And then, you know, stuff hit the fan at work and it was stressful and it was Friday and it was February in Seattle, which is fairly depressing. And I just desperately wanted to stop and buy a bottle of wine on my way home. I mean, I was in tears and like shaking. I wanted to drink so much. To this day, I think that was my breakdown, breakthrough moment. I think that the fact that I did not drink on that day 16 is what has gotten me to five and a half years, just going home and cuddling up with my son and going to bed early and crying and being pissed and waking up and going for a run. I mean, I think that was the hardest. But after the first month, I was feeling pretty good. I mean, I mentioned that I was happy. I was optimistic. I was exercising again. I was proud of myself, you know, every single day as the days built up, I was like, God, this is awesome. You know, I'm on day 45. Wow. Amazing. And I could feel myself getting stronger, but, you know, and I kept investing in my time, my energy, money into alcohol-free life. So I was working with my coach. And then when I was 60 days alcohol-free, I joined Hip Sobriety School, which is now the Tempest. Or, you know, it was learning, meeting people, joining groups, joining things like Tribe Sober. I mean, all the things that help you solidify that this is a good decision and widen your circles social circle to realize that you are not the only person in the world who aren't drinking and people who do it are happier and healthier and better and life is good. But then at about four months, I had a big family trip planned to Venice and Croatia. And as a red wine girl, the idea of going to Italy and not drinking was crazy. I had every intention of staying sober on that trip. That actually was a big goal for me. I knew I didn't want to take that trip and look back on it with regret and know that that was the time that I stopped drinking. But I leaned into all my sober supports. I planned ahead. I thought through, you know, instead of going on wine crawls, I went on gelato crawls. I bought myself all the amazing Venetian glass jewelry with the money I saved drinking. Um, I went to bed early and woke up early and did photography. So that was a big goal I had. I got through it. And actually, when I came home is when the world fell apart for me. So I was like four and a half, five months alcohol-free, came back. My team at work during the two weeks I was gone somehow fell apart. We had a really difficult manager and a couple people on the team left while I was gone. And um, I came back to just a world of pressure and deadlines and no team members and um, 
the pink train, you know, the pink cloud just disappeared. And I felt this huge, massive anxiety, panic episode, which I was actually really upset about because I'm like, you know what? I got rid of alcohol. That was like the big albatross. How am I not fixed? Like, how am I not better? How is life not all sunshine and roses? Now I did the thing. And so I had to go back to my doctor and talk to her and be like, okay, I'm not going back to drinking but I cannot feel this way anymore. So you need to help me. And I ended up, you know, getting on some anti-anxiety medication. I found a fabulous therapist and did EMDR therapy and went to her weekly. I just doubled down on all my tools with sort of every symptom that presented. And I'm so glad I did that work. I really am because that's work for the rest of your life, right? I was self-medicating. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at janet at tribesober.com. That's janet, J-A-N-E-T, at tribesober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just thinking, uh, Casey, you really did the work, didn't you? Like signing up for the Tempest and you, you really put your all into it. And I interviewed, uh, I don't know if you know her, Dr. Dawn. She's a naturopathic doctor in Arizona. I interviewed oh, I her. Yeah, she's great. I interviewed her for the podcast and, and she told me that she loves working with people in recovery because because they're all or nothing kind of people. <laughs> and you're definitely at all, aren't you? You absolutely yeah. put your all into your sobriety and, and well done because, you know, you obviously had some things to cope with. And that Venice trip is amazing. You know, I love the way you handled that, the way you reconfigured it, you know, going to bed early, getting up um, early. And uh, those sober firsts are so important, aren't they? That yeah. first holiday, the first birthday, the first Thanksgiving, as you call it. So, yeah, well done, well done. So, um, after a year, were you okay then? Uh, talk us about talk to us about how you evolved into a sober coach. Yeah. Well, in the beginning, I just kept moving the goalposts. So, I, at first, I was going for a hundred days. And before I got to 100 days, I was like, okay, worked with my coach and was like, okay, my next goal is 180 days. So six whole months and kept being like, I want to see how good that feels. I want to see how good six months feels. Like I want to see what will change in my life and my body and my relationships and my hobbies when I have six whole months of not checking out on my couch and waking up feeling like garbage and the clarity and the optimism and the energy and all that good stuff. So after six months, I said, okay, I'm going for a year, which was huge, right? For a girl who couldn't make it past day four. But, you know, I kept celebrating each milestone. So six months and then seven months and then eight months looking forward to it, circling it on my calendar, celebrating it. And once I hit a year, I was like, okay, I think I'm done. I think I've drank enough. I think I've had enough. I feel better. I think my life is better without it. And so I think it was once I got to a year, I was like, okay, I'm done. And it's not that I didn't know that before. It's not that I didn't know that was the right choice for me. 
it was just that like thinking about forever, never again would only trip me up. Like, you know, I think that when you start off and you're like, I am never going to drink alcohol again, it stops you before you ever get started. It's like if you can't run a mile and you say, I'm going to run a marathon, you know, you need to just start with the incremental stuff and have that experience and that confidence built up that like I can go on a vacation and I can go to a wedding and I can do a holiday. And by the way, it's better. And then it becomes less scary. Yeah. So we always yeah. say avoid the F word. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. That's a good Too one. Scary. That's a good one. Mm. And I swear a lot. I'm trying not to swear on this podcast. Oh, that's good. Please, please go oh, ahead. <laughs> I'm just like, that's the only F word I would ever avoid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, you know, once I got to a year, I was very comfortable being alcohol free. I just told people, yeah, I quit drinking. I feel better without it. That was, you know, that was as much of a label as I wanted to adopt. And I just was happily living my life. I was planning vacations, hanging out with my kids, sleeping through the night, feeling good. I lost a bunch of weight. I was exercising. And then, you know, year two went by and I was still at my corporate job and just dealing with reorganizations and layoffs and, you know, shifting priorities and budget cuts. And I just suddenly was like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, a lot of what comes when you stop drinking is the clarity around why you drank, why you wanted to check out from your life, all your triggers. And I realized that work was just a huge trigger. And and even without alcohol, I was spending a lot of coping time and tools and energy trying to mitigate what was sort of underneath it, which was that my job wasn't that fulfilling to, for me. And so I, you know, went to my husband and I'd been going to therapy and talking about my coach and my coaching experience. And it was actually my therapist who was like, I think you should become a coach. And I was like, oh no, I could never do that. You know, I work in this big corporate job. I make a lot of money. I, you know, all these things, nobody pays for coaching, whatever all the limiting beliefs were. And she was like, I think you should do it. I think, you know, there are so many women who need this, right? We live in Seattle. There are, you know, a universe of working women at Amazon and Microsoft and all these companies who are exactly where you were, Janet, are exactly where I was. And, you know, need support and help and um, to know there's a different way, but aren't going to or aren't ready to or don't want to go to AA or label themselves or, you know, aren't at the point where there's an intervention or rehab. And so I went back to coaching school um, while still working at my corporate job. Um, and in the beginning, I didn't want to do sober coaching specifically. I just didn't want that to kind of be the only thing about me. You know, I wanted it to be a part of who I was. I wanted to coach sort of midlife frustrated working moms, which was basically everyone I knew <laughs> and um, who'd like done everything they were ever supposed to do and got to the age of 40 and were like, why aren't I happy kind of thing. Um, and turned out that I did that for a while. And sober coaching is just so gratifying. It's actually easier because you have all these incredible high achieving women like you, like me, who are doing all the things and keeping it together. And yet 
drinking every single night and have this huge backpack of rocks they're carrying around. And when you're able to put that down, you can do all the other things in your life. And one thing I found about coaching women who want to stop drinking versus women who are, you know, don't have this particular sort of pressing issue is you are able to go so much deeper. They're so much more honest. They're so much more willing and excited to change their lives that the work is just so much more gratifying, right? Because when you take away the alcohol, you have to get real about your work and your kids and your triggers and your marriages and imposter syndrome and anxiety and all the things. And you finally get to resolve that and move forward. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true, isn't it? We just see things so much more clearly when we stop drinking. I mean, you're, you're leaving your, your job is, is a classic one, you know, and I've, I've been coaching people, you know, sometimes they actually think about their, their marriage or their relationship yeah. and start wondering, you know, is it the right, the right thing for me? They, they make huge changes. You know, I think I, uh, I came across someone that called it the domino effect. I, I really like that. It's, you know, you, you sort out the drinking and then you start looking at all these other areas in your life you know am I exercising enough am I eating clean you know and you you have the energy and the enthusiasm to to tackle other things so you end up on a whole kind of life improvement journey which is uh, is brilliant And, and it's so lovely to coach people on that journey and to see them gradually change and gradually the light comes back in their eyes it's it's beautiful work we're very privileged to be doing it so talk to us some, um, I was looking at your website, which is very nice. I can see you were in kind of digital <laughs> marketing. It's beautiful. So um, what else do you offer? Because I've got a feeling you offer courses and other things. How do you help yeah, people? Absolutely. Well, so I do a couple of different things. I mean, the first thing is I do one-on-one coaching with busy women. Lots of successful sort of working moms are typically the women I work with to stop drinking. And most of the women I work with have tried to moderate and make all the rules and, you know, do it on their own and they haven't been successful. So we work together, you know, one-on-one, typically over four or five months um, with text and email support and one-on-one coaching sessions and really try to get them you know, from day one to day 100 to day 180 alcohol free. I also offer a completely free guide on my site. It's 30 tips for your first 30 days. And it is really comprehensive, like 35 page guide with tons of resources and suggestions and step-by-step what to expect on each day. So you can get that by going to hellosomedaycoaching.com. And if you want to sign up for that, that's a really great free resource. I have a course. It's called the Sobriety Starter Kit. It is my full coaching framework, but in an on-demand video format. So 50 coaching videos in eight modules and basically helps women get out of the drinking cycle, stop drinking, and really take all the steps to start building the life they love without alcohol. And I have a free course. So it's a free one hour masterclass on the secrets you need to know to take a break from drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. 
Awesome. That's very comprehensive. And of course, you've got your fabulous podcast as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. And I'm very, very excited to have you on the podcast, Janet. We are going to talk about signs that you need to take a break from drinking. And so, yeah, uh, it's called the Hello Someday podcast. And uh, I love it. It's my favorite thing. Right. So let's let's broaden it a little bit wider because there, there's plenty of people, uh, Casey, doing doing the kind of work that we do, which which is awesome. Because I think there's a a, a lot of people out there that, yeah. that need help, and also uh, the alcohol free drinks market. I'm pretty sure in the states as well. It's certainly exploding here in South Africa and in the UK. So those those are signs, aren't they? That you know, yeah. maybe maybe there's a bit of a societal shift going on here. What what do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think there are two forces at work. One, drinking and women's drinking and binge drinking, particularly for women between the age of 35 and 65, is growing so much. Women are drinking more and more often than their mothers and their grandmothers. They're drinking at rates that are really problematic. And I say that with zero judgment. I am raising my hand as someone who was right there in it. And it's almost like you're so far in it and everyone around you is drinking as much that it's really hard to recognize how big of an issue it is. We think it's normal, you know, to not remember weekend nights or two, um, drink a bottle of wine a night. And so that trend is growing and it's growing with the pandemic. It's growing with growing with all the advertising and marketing to women and moms about drinking as your off switch, as your reward that's been going on for the last 20 years. So the statistics and the numbers of women drinking problematically and, and particularly, um, White women, particularly women in in higher income brackets, it's crazy in terms of the growth. So that's one area. The other area is that millennials are drinking a lot less. The younger generation are drinking a lot less. Maybe it's like cigarettes was before where once the sort of fever broke around everybody smoking all the time, the younger generations were like, oh my God, what are you doing? This is really bad for you. So I think the younger generation are the ones that are drinking way less than their parents or grandparents. Um, I love the alcohol-free drink revolution. I mean, it's amazing. My favorite drinks are... Um, Athletic Brewing Company, non-alcoholic beer, and Groovy. They have this amazing non-alcoholic Prosecco and Bubbly Rosé. I mean, I absolutely love them. And I think that a lot of people are getting to the point where they're, even if they were drinking a lot, they're realizing it's no longer working for them. They're realizing that it's sort of dragging them down and sort of experimenting with that sober, curious lifestyle. And because voices like yours, Janet, because of Tribe Sober and all the books that are out there, I think it's becoming more accessible to women where it's not this huge shameful thing to decide to stop drinking. It's more like deciding to go vegetarian, right? Like I used yeah. to eat meat, but it doesn't agree with me anymore, or it's not the person I want to be, or it's not serving me. So I'm choosing to basically make a nutritional swap. I mean, that's how I think about drinking and not drinking, right? It's just a beverage in your glass. 
Yeah, we, we have to see it as a, a kind of aspirational lifestyle choice, I think, don't we, rather than yeah. being an alcoholic. And I, oh, I love yeah. the Sober Curious movement, you know, and Ruby Warrington's done a great service writing that book, I think, because it's yeah. so much easier, isn't it, for, for people to say, well, I'm not drinking at the moment, I'm a bit sober curious, I just thought I'd see how life was without alcohol in it. Yeah. And it's, it's so much lighter, isn't it, than saying, oh, it's I think so I've got problems. And, and yeah. that's why, you know, the AA approach doesn't really work for me. Because I don't like this labeling, you know, and it all seems a bit a bit gloomy. But in fact, um, some, I was talking to someone the other day, someone in our tribe, actually, and she said, um, we've got to see see sobriety as um, as an opportunity, not a problem. And it's an opportunity yeah. to open up your life and, and do so much more, isn't it? And regain your health and your creativity. It's a real opportunity. And, yeah. and we're not losing that much because our, our reluctance to, to ditch it was, was really about fear of losing stuff wasn't it we were thinking oh i can't have fun i'm gonna lose all my friends and but once you get into it that that doesn't happen and you gain so much more yeah i mean i think that the way i think about it is with excitement and curiosity about yeah. the evolution of your life yeah. and what could shift and who you could be without it i mean i think that you know what your life is like when you're drinking i mean i knew right i knew what the weekdays the weekends the highs and the lows and i always say anyone who loves drinking you have the highlights right the highlights are the date night or the girls weekend away or the vacation but 80% of my life was the low lights, which was me on the couch with a headache, with a hangover, not feeling well, feeling guilty, trying to pull myself together. So I knew what my life looked like when I was drinking the good and the bad. And I didn't know what kind of person I could be or would be without alcohol dragging me down. And I actually wanted to see it's an adventure because if we carry on drinking, I often say to people, you know, if, if I'm coaching them, just fast forward your life 10 years, you know, and you're still drinking a bottle of wine every night. And the chances are it'll be two bottles of wine a night by then. Yeah. You know, where, where are you going with this? Because it, it's quite frightening for people when, when they do that, I think. Well, I was interviewing Catherine Gray, who wrote The Unexpected yeah. Joy of Being Sober. I love her. Oh, me and too. Just the title of that book is yes. so uh, motivational, isn't it? And she was talking about a 2019 study out of the UK, which of course did not get the attention that it should have, that drinking one bottle of wine for women was the equivalent cancer risk of smoking 10 cigarettes. Wow. And for men, it was the equivalent of smoking four cigarettes. Yeah. So, you know, as someone who in theory tried to be healthy, I was basically best case scenario drink, you know, having the putting ingesting, I guess, ingesting the cancer equivalent of 70 to 90 cigarettes a week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so mad. I, I was one of those women that uh, I did my yoga, I exercised, I was uh, gluten-free, green juices, yeah. didn't eat meat, all the health stuff, and then a bottle of wine every night. So, um, yeah. 
<laughs> anyway, we've we've got it now. It's all about education, isn't it, really? It really is. Like when you know better, you do better. And they always yeah, yeah. say that like recovery ruins you for drinking. But, you know, if you are listening to this podcast, you are on the path, whether or not you yeah. have been able to stop yet or take a break. I mean, you're gathering the information yeah. that you need to make better choices that will basically make you feel better. Yeah, yeah. So imagine someone's listening to this, uh, Casey. They, they're obviously, as you say, on, on their way because they're listening to us. But imagine they're thinking, oh, you know, well, it's all right for them. I just don't know where to start. What, what kind of practical tips would you give someone? Well, I think that the first thing to just accept and know is that it is okay if you don't actually want to stop drinking. I think a lot of us assume that we need to stop wanting to stop drinking before we'll be able to do it. And it just doesn't work that way. I don't know a single woman who loves to drink who actually wanted to stop. And so all I'm saying with that is don't let that be a barrier. You instead need to say, yes, I want it, but I am curious to see how much better my life will be without it. And as you get further away from drinking, I think of alcohol like a magnet. When you're really close to it, when you're on day two or day four or day seven, the pull is so strong to drink. And as you get to day eight and 10 and 16 and 30, it becomes so much less. And so you really need to just start building up those consistent days away from alcohol and not have your screw it moment where you're just like, oh God, this is too hard. I'm just going to drink. Because like you said, Janet, you're just doing the hardest part all over again. And you're basically going back to have that magnet pull be so strong and struggling to get away from it again. So I would say set a goal of a amount of time without alcohol where you're not trying to quote unquote drink less or big be good or just drink a couple nights a week. Like Give yourself, I like 100 days. I know that if you're doing it on your own, that can seem daunting, but at least 30 or 40. And just say, I am not drinking for this period of time, no matter what. This is a health kick. I'm telling the people around me, I'm, you know, you don't have to tell them anything about a problem or anything like that. Just be like, I'm going alcohol free as a health kick to see how much better I feel, how much better I sleep, how much more energy I have, what it does to my anxiety. And throw the book at it, right? Like join Tribe Sober, get my free guide, join the Facebook groups, do my course, do anything. There's free and there's not free stuff, but to get support so that you can see how much better you're going to feel. You've talked about your website and your podcast. I'm going to make sure they're all in the show notes as well. Anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye? I would just say that if you are listening to this and you're in that really painful place of starting and stopping and starting again and the endless debate in your head as to if you want to stop or need to or don't, just know that what you're doing now is the absolute hardest part and that it gets so much better. You don't have to decide that you have a quote unquote real problem or that you're an alcoholic or anything to decide that drinking is not making you feel as good as you could. And you deserve 
to experience how good you can feel without alcohol, without judgments, and without labels. And you can do it. If you want to stop drinking or take a break and you haven't been able to yet, that does not mean you can't. It just means you don't have the right level of support yet. Thank you, Casey. That was such a great conversation. Let's pick out a few highlights. Casey realized in her 20s that she had no off switch. I think that's true of many of us, yet we delude ourselves that we don't have a problem because we can actually go for days without drinking. But if you do find yourself drinking far too much after that first glass, then you probably do need to make some changes. Casey's first glimpse into the trouble that alcohol can cause came when she read a book by Caroline Knapp called Drinking, A Love Story. If you're worried about your drinking, then start off by reading some quitlets. It's a great way to start. If you want a reading list, then just email me, janet at drivesober.com. Casey went to doctors and therapists about her anxiety and her insomnia most of which was caused by alcohol. But in those days, she was in denial about her drinking and she just didn't connect the dots. Like many of us, Casey started making rules around her drinking. In fact, we had a whole conversation together about the rules we used to make. You can find that on her podcast, Hello Someday, episode 77, which is called 30 Signs You Should Take a Break from Alcohol. I'll put a link in the show notes. The reason we make those rules, of course, is that we're still trying to moderate, as we can't possibly imagine our life without alcohol. Having to give it up completely is our worst nightmare. Whereas with hindsight, both Casey and myself can say that giving up completely was the best thing we ever did. Casey managed a year of sobriety, partly due to a pregnancy, but then was soon back to her bottle of night habit. The second time she gave up was different because she understood so much more. She'd actually joined up the dots and realized that alcohol was the cause of her anxiety and insomnia. She hired a sober coach and checked in with her every single day because Casey was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Many of us get to this stage eventually. I certainly did. And at our workshops, I often hear people say, I'm done. I'm done with alcohol. I just can't do this anymore. And those people actually succeed and then they go on to thrive in their sobriety. We talked about the strong women that we both work with and how many of us have managed to hold it all together throughout the drinking years. Once we're actually liberated from the shackles of alcohol addiction, there's no stopping us and we go on to achieve great things. Sobriety is a superpower, I always say. One of our tribe has just done a TED Talk. I'm so proud of him. Well done, Clive. We talked about mind shift. Casey has gone from seeing alcohol as a reward to seeing it as a maladaptive coping strategy. Alcohol is not self-care. How on earth did the liquor industry manage to convince us that a glass of wine at the end of the day was an act of self-care, when in fact for many of us it's the exact opposite? 
I loved Casey's description of her breakthrough moment. It was day 16, she'd had a terrible day at work, and she wanted to buy a bottle of wine so much that she was actually shaking. But she managed to resist and then continued to get stronger. I loved her magnet analogy as well. How the pull of alcohol is so strong in the early days of sobriety, but the more alcohol-free days that we stack up, the weaker it gets. Sober firsts are so important. Casey cleverly reconfigured her Italian holiday, so she went to bed early, got up early to explore, went on gelato crawls instead of wine crawls, and treated herself to Venetian jewellery with all the money she'd saved from not drinking. As she continued on her sober journey, Casey avoided the F word, the forever word. She just kept pushing her sober goals forward. She celebrated her sixth, seventh and eighth month sober. And finally, at one year, she felt so much better, she decided she was done. That's such good advice. Don't tell yourself you're going to give up drinking. Just be sober curious. Take a break have a year off alcohol, and then see how you feel. I guarantee you'll feel like a different person. And after all, you can always go back to drinking. The wine's always going to be there. Although I've yet to meet someone who's done that after a year of sobriety. I've never heard anyone say, oh, I wish I'd never given up drinking. Casey's got some great analogies. We heard the one about the magnet. She also talked about how being dependent on alcohol was like carrying a backpack of rocks around and how sobriety lets you put the burden down. In fact, sobriety sets you free. Apart from reducing her anxiety and improving her sleep, Casey loves the clarity of mind that sobriety gives us. We can look at our lives with fresh eyes and sometimes we can actually spot the things which were driving us to drink in the first place. You heard Casey saying that she realised that corporate life had rather lost its appeal and that she wanted to retrain as a coach which has given her real purpose in her life. I asked her for a final tip and I love this one. She says, Don't wait until you want to stop drinking. It's never going to happen. Just say you're sober curious, you're taking a break to see what sobriety feels like. Keep going for a few months and you'll begin to glimpse the joy that alcohol-free living can bring. Do have a listen to Casey's podcast, which is called Hello Someday. Her website is called hellosomedaycoaching.com. She does one-to-one coaching as well as offering a course and some freebies. Another great analogy we heard from Casey is that in early sobriety, we really have to throw the book at it. We have to make it a priority for six months, treat it as a research project, do the work, and I guarantee you the payback will be huge. So check out Casey's website, thinkaboutjoiningtribesober.com, read the quitlet, listen to the podcast, just throw the book at this thing. As usual, I'm just opening my phone and I'm going to read you the first Slack message that inspires me. Here's a great message from tribe member Carlin. Every single time we have friends or family over for lunch, I see the slow deterioration happening. 
forgetfulness, slight slurring, opinions not being quite so sound, and the inevitable slump and loss of energy once the guests have left. I'm so bloody grateful it's not me, especially the waste of an entire evening. Thank you, Carlin. If you're not in on tribe and you don't know Carlin, then you may be surprised to learn that she's actually in the wine trade and still does tastings, even though she's sober. Check out her inspirational story in episode 26 of the Tribe Sober podcast. So if you want to join our member conversation on Slack and make a start on this life-changing journey, then just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. You can DM me personally on Tribe Sober Instagram, or you can even hit the big yellow telephone on the homepage of tribesober.com. Book a discovery call and find out if Tribe Sober is the right place for you. And if you're listening to this podcast on the day it comes out, then we've got a workshop tomorrow. Check it out on tribesober.com. So that's it from me. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast and I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.